All right. Awesome. So welcome to the Noble Initiative podcast. Um, I am here. Cameron is here um, with a wonderful panel of four individuals. We're getting some echo, but that's okay. Uh, one, we have, uh, once again, our resident linguist, uh, Isabella Ramirez, is here uh, in all of her glory. You have Pastor Urijah Sines. I said it right this time from Ben Orr. We have uh, Craig Davis, theology major, now uh, community uh, business manager and uh, all around intelligent guy uh, from Walla Walla. And finishing it off with Zach Brennis, uh, second year uh, psych, uh, doctorate of psychology. Um, how is that? How is how is what is your title, Zach? Uh, I'm just a guy off the street. Guy off the street. Guy off the street. <laughs> oh, we're very excited to have all of you guys there. Well, we will be joined by one Amelia Ramirez as well uh, in a moment's time. LA is getting the best out of all of us right now. Um, all of us who live in California, at least. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, a question that I've been thinking about for quite a long time. And uh, I had been frustrated with it and, and kind of put it in a box for a while just because I felt like I had exhausted my interest in it to the point where I thought that I couldn't learn anything more about it, so why try? Um, because it left me in consternation often. And then I started opening up that conversation with some more people recently, and I started reading more about it. And then I realized, I think, that having a firm belief or a firm understanding of this question itself um, and my response to it on an ethical and moral level uh, can help kind of clear up and prepare me for times of pure chaos and destruction. <laughs> um, it can prepare me for uh, the afterfall of those times in my life. So uh, I'm excited to talk about that. And that question is, um, and this is a broad beginning, what are the moral differences between passive and active responses to situations? Um, can you, in essence, be doing wrong? Can you, uh, from a biblical level, can you sin by uh, having the ability to do something and then not ceasing to do it? Many people talk about the God question. Um, if God is good, why didn't he go and stop evil? Uh, he had the power to, so, so in essence, why didn't he? Um, and did he make a mistake in not doing that? Uh, that is where this um, conversation can start, not necessarily on God's level, but what are the moral differences and probably ethical differences between passive and active responses? Who would like to start us out? Well, I guess I will. I, I think it it depends on the situation entirely i mean i know for like if you're in medical school you're studying to be a doctor like emma is when like part of the oath of doctors is to first do no harm so i think that there are times when you can take an action but how do you know that that's the right action and if that action is actually going to do no harm mm -hmm. so i think sometimes people can be very eager to have an active response to things when sometimes hold I wouldn't call it passive but you know leaving room for the humility of, of knowing that you know you don't have all the answers and so yeah I guess that's kind of like in it, my initial response to that question hmm. Greg you look like you want to talk yeah well I like the reason this question has in the past become something that I've thought about is uh, statements from people that surround around like uh, 
how so, some would say that inaction is action of its own. Um, and, in a sense, I see where people are coming with that, um, but I tend to disagree because I think that inaction is just inaction. Um, it's not the same as causing something because you didn't do anything. You just did nothing, which I think is also culpable at times. I think people are at fault for doing nothing at times, but it doesn't mean they took an action to cause something that they didn't actively involve themselves in. Hmm. Yeah, and it, I mean, it seems like we're having two main questions here. I mean, we have we have one idea that um, there's a there's a distinct difference between action and inaction, um, but it seems like Craig, you still agree with Bella that the ethical nature of that is circumstantial. Is that true? Of inaction or passive yeah, action? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Interesting. I've got some, I've got some, they're not riddles, but um, there are situations that seem to have befuddled, they've befuddled me quite a bit for a long time. Thought experiments, thank you. Um, that, uh, that I've, I've, I've played with in my mind a little bit. Zach, do you have anything to say, uh, on the, uh, the somewhat ambiguous circumstantial, um, issues that we have, um, that are based on this, on this topic? You know, I think that just, just at the moment, I am... I'm kind of collecting, collecting some, some thoughts on this. It's a, it's a big, it's a big topic. So right off the bat, I don't have anything to contribute, unfortunately, but hopefully, hopefully we'll get there. Hmm. So I, I have a, I have a brief thought experiment. Okay. So this comes from a, a, a non-Christian biased perspective, at least the initial thought experience, uh, the thought experiment, because I believe it came from a mixture of Sam Harris and Steven Pinker, both um, clear atheists. Um, so Steven Pinker developed uh, a numerical theory that brought together all of the different kinds of charities that you can make. And then had a bunch of mathematicians and scientists have one specific numer uh, financial number, a number of dollars that um, means that if you pay this amount of money, you will 100% save a life. Um, you may get a, um, a mosquito net for someone in Africa, um, but statistically, you don't actually know if that's going to save a life. Of course, it has the potential to, and maybe more, more than one. However, um, they came to this number, and it was just a little bit over $3,300. One life, you could save one life 100% for $3,300. So from this atheistic perspective, they would then brought this thought experiment. And maybe it's not an actual realistic or helpful thought experiment, but I, I would like to think of, uh, to, to, to go through it with you guys. Um, there's a house and that house is burning. Um, and there's a painting on your wall that's worth a million dollars. Okay. And I haven't done the math yet. Um, but million dollars is a lot of money. Um, there's a lot of, you can divide that by, um, 3,300 and save uh, a large amount of lives by that. However, you also have your two children within that house or even just one child or even a child that uh, you don't even know, but they're in your house and you, have the only, you only have one option to save either. One of them has the ability to go and save lives based on a numerical amount, um, probably, hun uh, I mean, hundreds, probably, I mean, definitely thousands actually, um, or you can save uh, the child from the burning building. Uh, what do you do? So is, 
I'm assuming that it is an assumption in this experiment that you have to sell the painting and spend the money on children. I mean, <laughs> that's your option. If you just want to go and take the painting and then sell it and then buy a Lamborghini, then uh, you have no, that. I, honestly, for me, it's 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 not a question because like I don't have kids. Maybe someday I will, but I can't imagine a scenario in which logic would take over and lead me to save something of monetary value instead of these, these, these little tiny people that I have, you know, raised from birth. I don't, I don't see a world in which my own mind would allow me to even think about that like i would i would grab my kids or even just a child that i didn't know like you're saying because i think it's uh it's tangible it's something right there something right now um and i mean i know then the counter argument is like well then like yeah anyway yeah i'm glad this is recorded i'm glad that you're recording my mom yeah this is good i'm being recorded as well yeah (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) i'd like to participate in this um well i guess i I think that there's probably a something to be said for potential action and action you take in a moment um and to sacrifice um, a kid to a horrible death because of rationalizing a potential action that could be better in the future um i find that to be stupid um and not 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 well thought through it's saying i i believe in my future self so much with money and though i have all the potential in my life to spend money all the time i think i should sacrifice this kid's life on top of that i don't consider human life to have uh stratas of value every life is equal and like you put up a thousand lives against one that's still (laughs) one life is equal to a thousand in my estimation so go for the one in that moment that's your power Mm. Um, that's what I think would be the the intelligent choice. Bella, I have a comment on that. Um, I like both Zach and Craig's answers actually, um, and I think they point to something interesting. I feel like you know when you when you gave that hypothetical situation, my initial response was I don't like questions like this. Um, but I thought that. Zach and Craig had some really helpful things to say. And I think they point to kind of where the limits of logic are. Mm. Logic is a very powerful tool and it's been used for good. Um, and I think that it's it's good to teach logic and good to use logic as a tool, but we should not set up logic as a false God. We shouldn't worship logic and believe that all the answers are in logical foundations because it leads us that that painting wasn't save thousands of lives. It's hanging in a building. Mm. When you try to give too it leads you to dark places. And I think that that's an example of that. And I think it's also interesting that both Zach and Craig had kind of like a gut instinct, like that's wrong. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, even if you're trying to rationalize it, you are valuing a painting over the life of a child. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that, that it shows us where the limits of logic are and yeah. that we need to be that there is some, there is a moral plane that is above logic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I love that. Um, one thing that I think of when I think of the looking at logic as it's, as if it's a God, I think of people directly like the people who made this question. Um, they are people in essence that worship logic um mm-hmm. I, I mean 
at its core, I, I, I find that unappealing. And that's not a logical response. I don't see me not finding meaning in logic in itself. I don't find that meaningful. Um, also, I look at certain ideologies that are born from this. Um, the, the whole idea of uh, eugenics, uh, that's, that's a logical to, to the people who uh, develop those ideologies, that's a logical response to the human condition. We need to go and improve the human race. Mm -hmm. When in essence, that's, that's pure, pure, pure evil. Um, so I think it's interesting. I, I love the responses that you guys had um, because those are directly the people who made that, that illustration, that, that, um, that, uh, that burning house situation. It's people who have that ideology. Uh, yeah, Craig. Can't hear you, mate. You're on mute. Anyways, unless you wanted to go a different direction with this question right now, I think there's another way to use this scenario to to make it interesting uh, even further. That, that uh, is like that same one or a different one. Uh, same, same scenario, just to uh, re rephrase the thought process on it. Mm -hmm. um, is it, are you at fault if you do nothing? Are you morally obligated to do something in this scenario? And if you do nothing, say you walk away from this, are you culpable for such a inaction? Hmm. What do you guys think? Well, the simple answer is yes. <laughs> What's the complicated answer? Unless Zach has the complicated answer. <laughs> Zach? It's interesting because I actually disagree with Bella. I, I understand where she's coming from in that um, she's making that statement that you are culpable if you do nothing. But I think that also um, lies in the intention of why you're doing nothing are you doing nothing because you're in shock because you're like physically just like you don't know what to do you your your systems like your your mental systems are just like shut down because in that case i mean people would people would come to people like me um because they would have that feeling of guilt that they did nothing but are they truly at fault? And I would say they aren't. I would say that it's a tragedy of the circumstance. And I know that this is, that's a very specific instance and a very specific um, and isolated example, but I guess that's kind of immediately where my mind goes to as well is, is that it, uh, it, it depends on intention and it also depends on the circumstance. Just like this entire discussion, it depends, it depends, it depends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what I was picturing when I heard the situation is like you're in a room and there's a painting on a wall and there's a child and you can pick up the painting. <laughs> but I mean, of course, I think it would be different if you're down the street and you see a burning enveloped in flames and you have to like run and enter the building. Of course, that's going to be kind of a different situation for mm. sure. Yeah. What if you're the person who lit the building on fire? Uh, then you're just bad. <laughs> then you're an arsonist. I think yeah, that involves taking. Agree with that. Craig, Craig. Here. Oh, hey. Yeah. Welcome. Please welcome on uh, oh. Amelia Ramirez briefly, wearing her Noble Initiative sweatshirt. That's amazing. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Um, Greg, Greg's <laughs> got a brief response to Bella and Craig and Zach, actually, not me. Yeah, Craig. Yeah, I, I like Zach's uh, clarification on that. Um, and I, I really liked what he said. I, I think, yeah, it's um, everything situational in this. Um, and intent, uh, I think it's huge. Uh, and, and the way I was steering the question a bit, I mean, like, personally, I don't, I don't find somebody culpable of inaction uh in terms of like the same crime right i don't think if somebody took no action there they killed the kid uh 
but they didn't take an action. Uh, and I think that also, if, if somebody didn't take an action, and say like that, Zach's points are very valid in, in the sense that like, yeah, maybe say it freezes up, right? But let's say somebody intentionally is like, nah, I could save this kid right now, but I'm not going to. I don't think that they're responsible for that kid's life. Um, I think they're responsible for themselves not taking an action, which I think is stupid and immoral. Uh, but I don't think they took that kid's life. Mm. Bella? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I, I would agree, of course, that like failing to put yourself in harm's way to save someone is different from like actively killing someone. Um, but I think that we all know what the heroic and you know, the noble, I guess you could say, thing to do would be. Um, and I don't think that that's really something that you can, um, in, in an extreme situation, like saving a child from a burning building, mm -hmm. that's not something you can just suddenly become the kind of person to jump into a burning building for. You're not just going to be like, randomly, I'm suddenly the person I need to be in order to do that. Um, that's something that you either have or you don't, and it's based on the kind of person that you are. Um, and funnily enough, they've actually done studies on people who put themselves in harm's way to save complete strangers. So the situation that comes to mind is there was a man, he was on, on the platform of the New York subway with his two daughters, both of whom were under the age of 10. And he see, I think someone is on the platform with him and they start having a seizure and they fall onto the tracks. Hmm. And there is a train coming. And this man leaves his two children on the platform alone and jumps down into the railroad tracks to save this stranger's life. Hmm. That's crazy. Now, the fact of the matter is, is if he thought about it, he probably wouldn't have done it. And hmm. when people interviewed him later, like, what were you thinking? He says, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Because they're like, you're crazy to leave your own children to save the life of a stranger. Um, and there's lots of stories like this. Um, there was, there were people who were wondering, like, what would cause someone to put their life in harm's way for others? And they interviewed a whole bunch of people. And what they found was, is the people who tend to do, cr like, crazy acts of bravery, like breaking car glass with their bare hands to pull teenagers they don't know out of a burning car um fighting a bull like seeing someone being mobbed mauled by a bull in a field like a woman like just goes and starts hitting the bull over the head with a stick you know um and like what kind of a crazy person would do something like that i'm wondering where that bull that bull illustration came from bella I would love video footage of that. My goodness. Oh no, that's people really do these like courageous things, um, and so. Oh, I also fight the bull to save the person who was being mauled by the bull. Hmm. I mean, in the interview, she said, "I didn't even feel it." Hmm. Um, so it's, when you hear stories like that, you're like, wow, people have superpowers hmm. because that's wow. insane. And what they found when they interviewed these people was that they didn't, none of them thought about what they were doing. Hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, Actually, yeah. which kind of raises the question, is this conversation helpful? Um, but what, what they did have was they were all raised with a moral, very simple morality, which is all of them, their, their parents raised them saying, do the right thing. Mm. 
they didn't say jump in front of a bull. They just said, do the right thing. Uh And so in their mind, they didn't have to think. They just did what they thought was the right thing. Hmm. Yeah, Craig. And then I have a, I have a brief response. Yeah, I was thinking, um, and there's a couple of reasons why somebody might do that. And one, one could be stupidity um, in, some, in some case, like just, just reaction, just pure reactionary feelings all up in the moment. And not to say it's stupid, but I do know several people who have died from such like action. Um, they, they had a gut reaction, a feeling of wanting to save somebody and, and instead they died too. Um, not to say that's bad, but I think generally like, yeah, this conversation is useful because I don't think I don't think it was wrong with them. I think it was maybe maybe stupid, but brave and noble to do such things that these people did that I know. Um, and having conversations like this, like Emma was saying, uh, not Emma, uh, Isabella, yeah, <laughs> uh, was saying um, having a uh, a reaction and not thinking about it, like all those people had in common, it comes from a moral background. It comes from having conversations like this and knowing where you stand. And it also comes from I think generally. Um, being willing to lay down your own life, um, having your life always on the line um, and being willing to jump into the fray because people die by having that kind of ability to gut reaction. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I think my question for, for both, both of you guys, and I think this also applies to Emma, Zach, and, and Uriah as well. Um, do you think that there is a genetic component to this? Do you think it's all, um, do you think, I mean, it may definitely be primarily upbringing, but is there personality traits that um, are derivative from genetics that, that might be a part of this? I mean, probably. <laughs> personality I would say probably has something to do with it um and personality is thought to be some combination of you know your kind of genetic predispositions with your experiences as a child and so probably Hmm. Greg it's my hand raised it is oh is it still raised? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, if I were to answer that, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I I tend to think that there'd be some component to somebody stepping out like that. Maybe a maybe, maybe a more brazen, less thought out uh, individual in some sense would jump out more often to do something out of the norm there, right? Uh, but I don't think either is more coveted or or to be more coveted um, if this is a personality-based thing because both can have equally positive outcomes if this is uh, personality-based. Yeah. I was thinking possibly trait conscientiousness, but I'm, I mean, it's hard to know. What do you think, Zach? I don't know. Do you think that there could be a, a, um, a personality component to it? There's, I mean, there's definitely a person, personality component to it. I mean... I'm not going to get into what exactly those personality traits might be because I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, no, certain people are predisposed to being more, you know, bigger risk takers or being more cautious, being more, um, I don't know, selfless or selfish. And there's just, I mean, there's a whole host of, of words that we can use to describe people, right? And, uh, like, it's definitely, definitely some of this comes down to personality trait. Would I go so far as to say, is it, is it genetic? I mean, I could say it depends. That's kind of like the age old question, like nature versus nurture. How much is, is this a product of how you were raised and how much is this a product of your genetic predisposition or a mixture of both? Um, because you know, and it's, it's very easy if you are raised a certain way, watching a certain thing, a certain type of behavior to emulate that, um, unless you identify that that isn't something that you want for yourself and you like really work to change that. It's very easy to just emulate that behavior. 
So, mm. you know, that's uh, that's another. It depends for me, Cam. Mm. <laughs> We're on three now. We're on three now. Yeah, Jiraija and then Craig, please. My answer to that is it's definitely both, one hundred percent, genetic and. I mean, nature and nurture, it's undeniable that some of the things that we possess are from our family members passed down, whether you're a part of that family or not, you could be removed as a child and still be very similar to your parents having no connection to them at all. And I think this is why it's important to go back to our answer to the previous question is in action, the same thing as an action. And that's people are complex. No one person is it can be maybe no one person is expected to have the same outcome in a situation like that. And that's why somebody who chooses to jump into a burning house and save a child should never be held on the same platform as somebody who is less likely because of their personality or genetics or whatever, not to say that it can't be learned. Like Craig said, I think a lot of this can be learned from upbringing, from being taught to do the right thing. And I mean, even in our, in our Bibles, it says no greater, it's, there's no greater thing than to lay down your life for somebody else, right? Not to say that it would come easy. And that's why inaction, I don't think can be held against you. Just as if maybe somebody who chose to act for the right reason, whether it's stupidity or not, cannot be held against them. And maybe that's where it all comes down to motive or why you're doing what you're doing. So we got a big, a big hard to know from Uriah. That was good. I love it. I love it. Uh, Craig. Yeah, I really like what Uriah said and Zach and Isabella and everybody. Um, but yeah, I, I think Uriah with the, um, with the, it's both. I think that's dead on. Um, example of my life is uh, when I was younger, it's a stupid example, not like life threatening, but our dog, we're walking across a log, across a creek, a little high up. Our dog calls into rushing water. Me being who I am, dunce off in order to catch my dog, right? My sister's there, he doesn't do it. And that's not because I thought it through and I'm a noble person at that point. I was a child. Gut reaction for me was dump after my dog. I love my dog. I want my dog. Um, but as we mature in our lives and as we think through things like we're doing right now, things can drastically change and things can like that can become very noble. For instance, at one point I was very afraid to die in my life, but now that I know my life is secure in God and I've taken that in and believed it, I am liable to take actions that are much more radical in the view of the world to lay down my own life, not because of gut reaction, but because of a thought through process in which I think my life is able to be laid down and it's a, it's at a benefit not a cost Greg, uh, i mean i love it's kind that. of a whole nother level too yeah definitely yeah and, and greg i love i love that last bit and uh just to ask you um you don't have to go into detail too much but uh what's the what's the quality of life difference between you right now who is living uh, in a, in a space that you can, that you'd be willing to, uh, give up your life, um, to the time that you were kind of living in fear of that. Um, what's, what's, what is the collateral damage been on your life, um, with that? Uh, I'd say no damage. The only gain, um, I'm, I'm not the weepy, uh, uh, insecure person that I was at that point. Um, which in itself, feeling-wise, let's say, a billion times better. Um, in terms of confidence, um, like every, every, every aspect of my life is better since that realization acceptance. Um, yeah. Hmm. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that's one thing that I've been thinking about. And... I've been kind of rethinking about since I got married. Um, when, when, like throughout my life, there was points in time where um, I obviously, I, I mean, it wasn't suicidal, but it's like, you know what? Like, um, 
man, I just kind of dug myself a hole with that. Uh, I was not suicidal by any means, but there was points where I was somewhat willing to give up my life within a situation. Like I had a, like in Walla Walla, I, my dog ran uh, to the rushing waters and I jumped in when it was, it was like 10 degrees outside. And then like, there's just no thought you just, you, you do it. Um, and then now I look at certain parts of my life and I think of um, like my wife, like I'm married now. And so I have someone who partially depends on me and that's kind of put a lot of different things in perspective and kind of thrown a rock in my perfectly crystalline uh, pond of security is like, yes, man, if I die, you know what? It's not going to affect anybody. So obviously I I'd like, I'd want to fully go in on those instincts just to go. If there's a situation, a potential of me going and helping somebody else. And now um, just thinking about the, 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 now with the changes in my life, I'm wondering if that will impact my instincts enough to change what I would do in a situation like that. And that's something I've been wrestling with for, for a little bit. Now, Zach, do you, do you have, uh, do you have um, something? I think you have something. Sorry, you froze there for me. I don't, I don't know what you said. Sorry. Well, I would, I would love to, for you to expand on something on that. Well, I was just saying, you know, when, when you, you know, you brought up suicide and, and, um, and you saying that you have this, you have this realization that now you have like somebody who depends on you and stuff. And it was, it just kind of pops into my mind that like, that is actually a thought process that, that can be really helpful for people who are really struggling with that kind of having that realization of, of, um, somebody else or something else depends on me uh anyway i mean it's just a it's just an aside but i just found that interesting that i i found it interesting to hear you verbalize that well i'm glad you found me interesting thank you so much yeah bella emma please um yeah i think that that's that's interesting that change you noticed in yourself uh after getting married and I think that, you know, we've, we've kind of described these borderline insane actions of people to save others mm-hmm. as noble. Um, but I think that, and we've also described them as maybe foolhardy, mm-hmm. crazy, stupid. Um, <laughs> and I think that maybe part of what what's happened is like when you – are responsible for other people. It's a realization that your life is not your own. So it's not like, like before is like, you had a right to do what you, what you, whatever you wanted with your life. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you get married, now you have responsibility to someone else. When you have kids, now you have even more responsibility. Um, and I think that, that that is also like part of growing up and part of i feel i think it's appropriate Mm. um i don't think it's wrong we should be wise in the risks that we take Mm -hmm. um and and ask ourselves like you know, I mean, when it, when it, like we've already said, when it comes to these kind of extreme situations, often, you know, if you're going to do anything, it's, you're not going to do it because you thought about it in the moment. Mm-hmm. But there are other things like when in life, like difficult decisions where you have to ask yourself, am I going to stand up for what, for what's right in this situation? Is that a hill I should die on? <laughs> you know? And I think that it's okay to act with wisdom in those situations Mm. Um, and ask for God's guidance. And one of those things that you should think about is, you know, is this, why am I doing this? Is this to bring myself glory or is this to bring God glory? And so 
Yeah, this is kind of expanding it beyond those extreme situations because on a day-to-day basis, I mean, you might go through your whole life without ever, you know, seeing a woman in a field being mauled by a bull. Um, And so, but we have to make ethical and moral decisions on a daily basis. Uh, And it's not infrequently that acting, that our actions will impact our future. Our decisions will impact our future and those around us. Um, so. Hmm. Um, I I wanted to, to kind of maybe just asking a direct question back. Um, you mentioned acting in wisdom and we were just referencing the place that logic has within our society. Um, what do you think would be um, the difference between acting with logic and acting in wisdom um, with kind of the, the same tone that you were just talking about? Well, I would definitely say that they're different. Um, logic is kind of like math. It's very formulaic. There is a right and a wrong answer with logic that's very black and white. Um, and you can you can argue your way into the wrong answer, as in you can argue your way into the morally wrong answer, as we've already discussed earlier in this podcast. Mm-hmm. And it, this kind of circles back to our earlier comments about the where logic meets its limit of usefulness is, I think, where wisdom comes in. Um, I know that Jordan Peterson says that science will only take you so far. It it will tell you what is, but it won't tell you what to do. It it won't tell you what to do about what is. And it's a mistake to think that it will. Um, And so I think that that's where, that's why I use the word wisdom and not knowledge or logic. Uh, because sometimes it, there's not like kind of along the same theme. Sometimes there's not like a clear cut, right answer, a good answer. You don't know what the right answer is. And I think as Christians, we gain wisdom by forming a relationship with God and asking for his guidance because it, you know, I recognize I don't have the answers. I often don't know what to do and what the right answer is. And I think the only way to find that is through prayer and through forming a daily relationship with God, reading the Bible. Um, There's a lot of wisdom there in the Bible. Craig. Yeah. um, Yeah. So wisdom and and knowledge um, or logic actually upon those I'm, currently listening to Jurassic Park, um, the book, right? And there's a, something to uh, like recognition of not being able to know all the variables, like how I'll never be able to predict the weather is kind of the example to use in the book. Um, to recognize that and to not rely on the data sets that you have and everything you can see and to instead rely on something else that you've come to trust through personal experience, I think that could be linked in with a part of what wisdom is. Um, for some, that would be God. For some, it would be uh, life experience and uh, things they've done that seemed logical at the time and realized that they weren't later. Um, simple trust can be wisdom if you find somebody trustworthy. Um, so yeah. Yeah. yeah it's funny because wisdom is a hard thing to define. Definitely. You know it when you see it. Hmm. When you meet a wise person, it's like someone who seems to have the right answers to difficult questions. Hmm. And that their answers work. But there's not like a reason why. Hmm. Just is. Yeah. Uriah. Yeah, so... I love where this is going. And if we want to continue, we totally can. I kind of have a re-asking the original question 
that I have some questions about. I didn't mean to move on. No, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So going back to the original question, it's talking about um, passive or active responses to situations. Um, oftentimes choosing to be, is, it, is the right word active, right? Passive, active. Yeah, uh, choosing to be active to participate in a situation can obviously go one way or the other. It could get you in trouble, it could not. And oftentimes we came to the conclusion, or I don't know if we concluded, but it seemed like we did that not doing anything, you can't get in trouble. It's just like, if you don't choose to do it, it can't be held against you. I'm not saying you did the right thing, but it can't be held against you, right? So at what point in our life then do we need to choose to be active rather than passive? Because we can't just be sitting in lukewarm water our whole life. We can't just be riding the fence we can't just be sitting here like, okay, well, if I don't do anything, then it can't be held against me. At what point is then not doing anything really the wrong thing to do? And at what point should we take action in our life? Because it's important. The Bible, scripture blatantly calls us to action, always calling us a step deeper into relation, into, into whatever it is. It's always calling us into action. At what point do we need to choose action rather than not? I know that's broad, but I feel like it's important that we do need to make a step towards something and we can't just be riding the fence all the time, especially if we concluded that, hey, it's okay. It's okay if you choose not to do anything, you know, especially if you don't know what to do, why not do anything? Mm. So definitely took a, took that one in the left field, but no, I, I'd love to hear if anyone has any uh, responses to that. Does anyone have any direct responses to that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, like, and, and this is going to move a little bit in a different direction as well, but um, I, I don't know that when somebody takes an inaction, it, it, it's rarely, um, or, or doesn't do anything. It, it's rarely a choice. Uh, it's like, ah, I'm just not going to do anything. Um, I, 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 in terms of like, let's, let's say salvation. Um, salvation isn't something that we choose for ourselves. It's something that's been given freely and we receive. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going with this, but like, uh, we don't, we are presented with the choice. We're presented with the reality. We're presented with what to do um, in terms of that instance. Uh, and I don't think that when somebody doesn't take an action towards salvation, it's because they're actively choosing not to take that action and they have the ability to take that action. It's because they don't have the ability to take that action primarily, which is why I think in the Bible uh, that lukewarm state is worse, let's say, than somebody who's choosing the opposite because that's somebody who's not who's in a lukewarm state is literally just somebody who's incapable they they are in essence so weak and, and and not participant in this world that they're they're doing nothing um and that's worse in in some regard i'd say mm, and then bella so yeah this just made me think of a verse uh james 4 17 it says in the uh, ESV. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is a sin. And this isn't the only place in the Bible where it talks about you are held accountable for what you know. Like if you, if you know something to be true, like if God has revealed something to you and you know a truth and you don't abide by it, you are responsible for that truth and for sharing it. And so I, I don't know, it just made me think about that because that's been something that's been really inspiring for me to like take more accountability for trying to be more courageous. Hmm. And it also like gives grace to people who have not yet discovered the truths that God reveals to people. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because the key there is part of the key there is anyone who then knows what good they ought to do. First, you have to know what good you ought to do. Because if you don't know what is right or what is wrong, you can't act. Um, but if you know, you do have responsibility for that. And you might have to pray for courage to do it. Hmm. Yeah, Craig. Yeah, quick response to that. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's great. And I, I think that in essence, like somebody who uh, has had presented to them in which they're willing to take an action uh they've made the choice they're willing to take they've had the the presentation that they've said this this is enough that i'm willing to take this action that person's in the place they want to be and they're in the place they're going um and, and again somebody who has not been in that place and has not been given any uh reason to take an action that's a terrible place to be um because in essence you're 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 not where you want to be for sure. Um, and you don't know where to get and how to get there. Um, it's just an awful place. Yeah. And, and I remember once you brought up that verse and I was, I was, I was kind of walking through that in my mind, um, specifically that, that word, no. Um, I mean, also, just the phrase of know what is good, and that brings me back to Genesis within the, the Genesis 3 story of the fall, um, with the introduction of the knowledge of the, uh, well, going and taking fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, it's not just the knowledge of what is evil, it's also the knowledge of what is good. Um, I, I, I think that's one, one thing that I'd like to hear you guys come up, or at least maybe respond to, is... Um, could that possibly be the um, the the one of the keynotes or one of the rulers that we have um, to base this whole conversation on? If we know that um, it wasn't just the knowledge of good and uh, of the knowledge of evil that went and influenced them, uh, it was also the knowledge of good. Did I glitch out there? Oh yeah. No. I hate to All be right. the bearer of bad news, but you're kind of in and out there for a bit. All right, I'm gonna try this again. Okay, so back in the back in the um, story of Genesis three, it wasn't just the knowledge of what is evil that influenced them; it was also the knowledge of what is good. And so I'm wondering if that, um, and I could be out to lunch here, but. Could we use that as one of the little rulers or the, the ideas that would be um, applicable to this situation? If you know what is good and you don't do it, um, then you're held responsible for that. And if you know what is uh, evil and you do it, then you will also be held responsible for that as well. What do you guys think? You want to go through that one more time? Yeah, so it's the, for cognitive, not because of uh, glitching. The knowledge of good and evil. Uh, do you think one of the responses to uh, the book of James is really back in Genesis 3 uh, with the knowledge of good and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Uh, when the lie was instilled within the world, um, they knew not only what is evil, what is good as well, just with the connections that we have to that story with the prodigal son. We had one son who knew what was good and he knew he was good and he, that was problematic for him. And then there was another son who also um, did evil and that was a problem as well. So um, do you think that there's any connection between the Genesis story and this verse in James that could help us out, Craig? Oh, the verse in James being the one who knows what is what the good to do and doesn't do it, that is sin for him. Mm -hmm. This is what we're referring to, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I was actually going to go a different direction when I raised my hand and then you, you phrased the question very specifically. But uh, in, in Genesis with a good and evil tree, uh, I, I think that good there, you know, they're not supposed to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, I don't think one is needing to know the good they ought to do. What one needs to know is their identity, who they are, and then it's gut reaction from there. 
uh, in a sense. You act according to truth. You don't act according to to necessarily good. Um, and you, <laughs> if you know the good, I don't know. Dude, that's a, I think that's I think it's a different kind of good in in James personally. I think the good in Genesis is it's not a good you need. Um, it's it's a thing that um, in, in fact when you when you know it, you're putting yourself in the position of God instead of allowing yourself to to react to truth of God, um, you're, you're deciding the good there in that knowledge of good, I think. I mean, that, that was really not the best way of stating that. No, I, I mean, I, I think, I think you communicated the message well, and I think that goes back to our, I, I guess, criticism of people like Sam Harris and Steven Pinker. Um, they're putting themselves in the, the position of God by defining what good is. And their definition of good comes from an atheistic worldview, which means, hey, if there's a burning building uh, and there's something that has the value to save lives here on earth, if you sell it, you better take that painting instead of saving the human being. I mean, I, I think that's kind of what you were communicating. And I think I, I told Yeah. And, and I think maybe for me, according to what I know, the good in um, James could maybe be more likened to truth, right? For those who know the truth um, in all its, you know, gospel innuendo, right? Uh, what it can mean, um, and does not act upon that. For that, that uh, for them, that is sin. And I think that goes really well according to the other three definitions of sin in the Bible, such as uh, lawlessness or um, uh, faithlessness. Um, to not to not do the to not act according to truth, uh, maybe not so like the the good you know, but the truth you know. Um, that's kind of how I view James. Hmm. Awesome, thank you, Emma and Bella. Yeah, so similar to what Craig was saying at the end, just kind of it's just a thought, and it's not a thought through thought, but I wanted to share it anyways, and just hear what you guys think. <laughs> Um, but it just kind of dawned on me when Eve and Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they ate it thinking that they would know good and evil and kind of like what Craig was saying, it almost, it became their own truth, right? Because now they thought they had the ability to decide what is good and what is evil instead of leaving that for God to decide. And so the way I look at the way I see James is, you know, once you know what is good, well, God is good. So when you know God and God reveals to you what is good and what is right, then you are responsible for doing it. But in the fall, it was like they wanted the power themselves to determine good and evil. And it took them a step farther. It took them a step away from God because instead of turning to God for good and evil, for guidance and what is good, they said, oh, we could have that. We can do that. We don't have to go to God anymore to know what is, I mean, and don't think they necessarily had a concept of what evil was, right? But they wanted to be decision makers in good and evil which is pretty interesting because if you think about it like god did give them the power to be decision makers when he placed them in the garden um and he told them to name all the animals and to care for the garden he wasn't looking over their shoulder every second of the day you know telling them do this do that do this right so it seemed like when when you look at the garden before the fall they god did give them freedom but he also, as we know, gave him gave them the freedom to choose to reject him, which is what they did. I thought that I think that's a very good observation you made, Emma, that what they were doing was they wanted to choose their own what was good for them. And you see this repeated over the the course of the biblical stories to, you know, terrible effect, especially in in um, judges when he says over and over again, they did what was right in their own eyes. And it always led to disaster. <laughs> um, so I, I do think that when we're tr when we're faced with difficult ethical dilemmas, the best place 
to find the answer is through your connection and relationship to God. And so because the answers aren't in logic, you know, and, and we found that out in the 20th century with, you know, pretty brutal effect. The most brutal regimes of the 20th century thought they were doing what was good and what was right. Mm. So we have to be very careful when, when we think we know what is right. If that is not from God, it can lead you to very bad places. It doesn't yeah. always, but it can. <laughs> Definitely. So. Yeah, thank you. Greg. Yeah, so I right at that. Yeah, I, I love that. Is there a lot echoing for you guys coming from me? No, it was just my phone. Never mind. Okay, so along with that, yeah, if, if God is good, if Christ is truth, um, I just want to like kind of illustrate where following the good that we believe to be the case, like that we define ourselves, where that goes. If the Bible is right and God is truth and God is good, then if you redefine it by yourself, the only place you can go is not towards truth, is not towards good. Um, that, that's the only place you can go. I think that's an interesting like kind of a dilemma for those who believe in the gospel, for those who believe in, believe in the Bible. If you think you're doing the good based on your logic, you're inevitably not. Bella, are you wanting to respond to that? Yeah, I mean, my my gut instinct would be to agree, but I just I'm just thinking about all the people out there who don't believe in God, who make decisions about what they think is right and it works and they do yeah, do good you know um and they are married and they're faithful to their wives and they raise children and they you know are good parents and they have successful happy children and uh they volunteer in their communities and they do things that we would say are good um and so I think that while I, I mean, I, I have said in this very podcast that I think that all that is good comes from God. And that I think that the best place to find wisdom is in God. Um, I think that it can be confusing and difficult for people when they look in the world and see see things that could contradict that statement. Um, so I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I. Uh, some somebody can also do what appears to be good, um, and it be com completely the wrong mindset, and it for themselves, though it might be good to the world in a sense, is completely evil. Um, and also, I think that there's a surprising amount of people who are in line with truth and God who have no idea that they are. Um, so I guess that's, that's just like not really an in-depth answer, but it, it's, it's a really ambiguous uh, subset that you opened up there. I mean, like, <laughs> who knows? Like, yeah, somebody could be doing things that are good and for them it's completely evil, even though it affects the world in a positive way. They're doing it out of arrogance and, and lies um, or luck. You know, um, that's not good. That's not noble to do something out of luck. Um, but there's also those who completely have no connection to God and the gospel according to all like aspects that we can look at. And yet they have such deep relationships with it in reality. And that's what their lives are exhibiting. Um, impossible to know what it is necessarily, except for based on maybe relationship with that person. Hmm, yeah, Bella. Um, so... Yeah, I, I think that, that that you bring up a good point there. And, and I think it's um, good to caution because people can believe that they're doing what is right and what is good. And, and there can be truth in what they're saying. Um, for instance, um, 
it's always dangerous to use uh, real world examples. But um, for instance, all of the um, the rioting that we've seen this year in this country is based on is defended based on the idea that they're fighting for something that is good. And it's actually hard to argue with it because I'm just gonna say, you know, Black Lives Matter, that statement is true. And everyone should agree with that. And, but the problem comes when you use something that is true and is good and is right to justify things that are not true or good or right. So, and to, to create a kind of like, to set that up, that statement up as kind of the ultimate good is like setting up an idol. Mm. It's like setting up a false idol. And because there is a good that is higher than that. Um, and that is, I think, the respect for all life and the lives of all people. So, you know, that's a difficult, difficult thing to talk about in, in today's world, but I think it's important. Um, so I think that that's a good example of that.